welcome to Beers and Biscuits, a dog cast for the rest of us. I'm Karen. And I'm Nicole. Grab a beverage, give your dog a biscuit, and enjoy the conversation. So Karen, what biscuit do you have for us today? The biscuit that I am featuring tonight is a fan favorite and a staple in this house, and that is the Tricky Trainers by Cloud Star, most specifically the chewy version, but the crunchy one is also a hit as well. But the Tricky Trainers by Cloud Star is our biscuit tonight. And what is your beverage tonight, Nicole? So I'm trying something a little different. I have a Nantucket craft cocktail, Nantucket cranberry vodka soda, and it's yummy. It's very yummy after a long day. That sounds quite delightful. So we have a special guest with us tonight. Nicole, who who do we have with us? We have Heidi Armstrong. Heidi and I are friends on Instagram. And we've had some pretty awesome conversations. And so I I thought, why not have her come on for this topic today? So Heidi, why don't you introduce yourself? I am Heidi Armstrong. And I have a background in horses. So I grew up on the back of a horse in a barn. And through spending so much time at the barn, began to observe dogs and fall in love with dogs. And I was involved in Greyhound Rescue for about 15 years and then rescued a non-Greyhound. And Cheza is my second non-Greyhound. I'm a hobby dog trainer. Love, love, love training all different kinds of dogs, especially my own. I'm a therapy dog volunteer as well. So with my last dog, I volunteered more than 1,200 hours over the course of 14 and a half years. So Chesa is also a therapy dog. I have seen her list of titles. Do you want to kind of give us a little rundown of what she's got? I don't even know if I'll remember. So let's see. Well, I started doing rally with her. That was one of the first things that we did when she was really young because there's no jumping and first two levels are on the on leash and it's very accessible. So we started doing virtual rally. So she has three rally titles now. I don't think I've listed one, but we got one last December. And I really appreciate how virtual rally makes things accessible for all of us because shows are very difficult for me physically. So you can do it in the yard and that's lovely. Right. She has the three CGC titles. So a regular CGC and a CGC U and a CGC A. And yes, that's right. And I told you I would stumble over this and a dock diving title. Nice. So you can see I'm very attached to my titles. (laughs) Or our titles or whatever. She has some trick titles too, right? Oh, yes. Thank you. So the other thing we started along with Rally is trick training. This is kind of interesting background. When I went to meet her in the yard of the woman who rescued her, the first thing I noticed about her was how coordinated she was. She's about 12 weeks old. And I thought, and she's with her litter mate, her brother. They were rescued at the same time. And I thought, man, this dog has a lot of coordination for a little puppy. And so we brought her home and just started putting 
stuff out. Like our living room looked like a combination of a gym and a recycling bin. And there was some stuff all over the place. And she started climbing <laughs> on it and standing on a little BOSU and balancing on things and getting on little pieces of wood. And I thought, this is really cool. She enjoys that. And so I just started reinforcing it. And then she started offering more and more behaviors that involve balancing and different kinds of tricks. And, and then I realized that her love language is work. She just loves to work and she loves to do stuff with me and with my husband, Dan, or with anybody, as a matter of fact. And so I just started doing tricks with her. And then one thing led to another and I started getting trick titles with her. And this was also during the pandemic. So some of them, uh, one was virtual, the rest of them we did in person. That has just been the loveliest way to connect with her. It's it's like some secret language the two of us share. I love working with her. She's such a happy little dog. She is. I love watching your your stories and you guys working together. I love it. Thank you. So we try to ask guests kind of an easy question to get the ball rolling. If someone were going to make a treat about Cheza, what would that treat be called and what would be in it? You said you asked an easy question. It's not. She doesn't come up with the easy ones. <laughs> the treat would be called joy. And this is hard. I think it would have fish in it. <laughs> For this episode, we wanted to address and maybe help clear up for dog guardians the idea of agency when it comes to working with our dogs. I think it's helpful for us to start off with what is agency? Agency is, is defined as an individual's ability to have control over their life, their environment, and more important for us working with dogs is they have the ability to have access to desirable or favorable outcomes and control and they're able to control that access. So essentially, agency is the power of choice. As trainers, we should be helping pet guardians understand the need for creating more agency for their dogs in their daily lives. This can be as simple as letting your dog choose the route that you walk or letting your dog choose to mosey around and sniff and enjoy some environmental enrichment versus a power walk. It can be things like providing more opportunities for preference tests for items like toys, treats, and enrichment items. Really where we see agency gaining more traction in modern training is with cooperative care um, and basic husbandry. And that's where we want to really strive to teach animals not only to choose to opt into some of these behaviors and husbandry tasks like getting nails trimmed or teeth brushed or things like that, or, you know, having better time at the vet visits, but we also need to allow them to opt out. And that's where the, the agency comes in. In a kind of a classic example that I like to give about why agency is so important is working with people that have dogs that maybe aren't super excited to meet people. So dogs that are super shy, dogs that are fearful of people. The old school way of approaching that would be, I'm going to, you know, take have the dog approach, 
or I'm going to give this treat to the person and have the person approach the dog with the treat. And while we might be intending to make a good association there, the dog only has one way in that instance to get that reinforcement, to get that treat. If the dog isn't really sure about it or is apprehensive or really doesn't want to make that approach to the person, but really wants the reinforcement, is really looking for the reinforcement, what ends up happening is we can end up using that reinforcement in a coercive way because we've actually limited the agency of the dog in that instance. And so one of the best ways that we can increase agency for our dogs is by giving them a lot of behaviors to choose from in any given context. So for that same example, I have a dog that's maybe a little fearful to greet people. And instead of handing the treat to the person and the dog feeling this conflict between I really want the treat and I really want access to that reinforcement, but I'm kind of afraid of the person. What if I teach the dog something else that also gains them access to reinforcement? So maybe I teach them to hand touch or hand target my hand in the presence of that person. So now they have one more opportunity to be able to get the reinforcement, get the reward in the proximity of that person. So instead of using that access to reinforcement in a coercive way, I'm actually building a positive association by giving them one more option. I could also teach them kind of take a step away from the person to access treats. So now they've got three ways that they can access reinforcement in that same context. So we've increased their agency by increasing the, the number of behaviors that they're able to offer us in the presence of this person. And so we're making positive associations, but we're also giving them more choice in how they do that. And so giving your dog a large repertoire of behaviors to choose from in a certain context um, is another way to create agency for them. So Karen, with that, as a trainer, what does agency mean to you? And how do you try to incorporate that into your daily life with CJ? So agency, in my opinion, as a trainer, as well as a dog guardian is one of the most important things we can offer our dogs. And especially with my guy CJ being a 10 and a half year old dog, he's considered a senior. It is so important to offer him choices, whether like you said, it's to take his time sniffing on walks or to skip a walk entirely. So it's, it's very important. But on top of that, it also, I find really helps foster the relationship I have between my dog or even dogs that I work with, because I feel like it really makes the dogs feel like they have a true say and someone is listening to them. And then right. I find they want to work more. Right. When you're allowing them to be able to give you both a yes and a no and having both ends of that conversation available to them, they actually end up wanting to communicate more. And so that's the really important thing about us providing places in a dog's life that we can give them more agency. 
So what are some examples maybe that you've used with clients, things that you've helped them with in terms of places that they can include some more agency? Not to just keep harping on the idea of these walks, but I think for the average everyday guardian, the easiest way to start with agency is just by simply asking your dog if they want to go for a walk. I know for most dogs, when you say, do you want to go for a walk? They're going to jump up and they're going to run to the front door, wherever their leash is. But I find sometimes they may go through all of that. But once you pick up the leash or the harness or whatever it may be, they may turn away. And I think you can start right there. And it's a very easy place for a lot of guardians to recognize a dog saying no, saying, I thought about it. I no longer want to go as they walk away. Um, And another way I encourage my clients to try is by throwing treats away, not, not out in the garbage, just when you're going to pay the dog, instead of feeding right from your hand, tossing it away. It's not always the most reliable, but I always use it as a barometer. Does the dog come back to continue gauging in, in the training session? If they don't come back, don't push for more training. Let that just be the end. So those are two of the easiest ways I start my clients off with. Right. And I think, I mean, those are great examples too. And they're very, very simple, but probably, you know, overlooked a lot. You know, let's say that, you know, you're like most dog owners and you have to go to a nine to five or, you know, now with commute time, an eight to seven job and your dog has to be confined for that time. The idea is, okay, well, we're going to put them in the confinement and we're going to give them, you know, something to do, you know, like a Kong or a, a topple filled with something. What I like to do is I like to tell them, okay, make three or four of those ahead of time fill them each with different things. And before you're ready to have your dog go in the confinement, let them choose which one of those, instead of always just kind of handing them, you know, these things, is even that little bit of being able to choose which one of those, those topples I get today, is a very simple way to bring in some agency. That brings me now to Heidi. So we had a conversation a little bit ago that led to you being here today. Um, And the topic was surrounding agency and how to create more opportunities for choice and access to reinforcement for dogs and how this is gaining traction in modern training and really forcing us trainers to kind of think a little bit more outside the box and how we how we approach training in a way that fosters agency for the dog. As a dog guardian, what does agency mean to you? Agency means to me that you have a truly functional relationship with your dog and that it is a relationship and that I can say no and the dog can say no or the dog can say yes and I can say no. So it's a continuous conversation where both people are listening and both people have compassion and both people realize that we are, I say both people, I'm referring to the dog as a person, <laughs> but both beings can change and ebb and flow on any given day. I believe that the human side of the relationship, we need to understand that our dogs are beings too, and they have good days and bad days, just like us. And agency to me means 
that as a dog guardian, I have very good observation skills of my own dog. And I honor what she's telling me. And I believe her when she's telling me things. And I don't force her to do things if she's telling me, I don't want to do this today. Whatever it might be. It could be agility. It could be doing her nails. It could be brushing her teeth. It could be taking a bath. But I I listen to her and I watch her. Right. Yeah. And I think sometimes people that don't really understand agency, they'll say things like, well, you're just allowing the dog to make bad choices or unsafe choices. And that actually really isn't what agency is about. I'm not going to allow my dog to run into the street just because that's the choice he wants to make. Obviously, we have to take in mind safety, health, things like that. But it's really finding little ways to give them back some control, because the more control that we give them, the more likely they are to be cooperative with us. And so specifically with the husbandry, that's kind of where we're seeing it a lot with teaching these opting in skills like a chin rest or, you know, hand targeting or things like that, so that the dog can let us know that they're ready to begin the task. But then also allowing for that opt out, being able to get up and walk away and still get access to that reinforcement. So if I'm trying to work with a dog to be more comfortable putting a harness on, I'm going to give reinforcement, give reward, give treat, even if the dog doesn't approach to put the the harness on. So even if the dog walks away, they're still going to get that that reward. If the dog decides I'm done, I want to go lay down, they're still going to get that reward. The thing that we find is that by rewarding a no, the dog being able to say no to things, again, we're not talking running out into the street or attacking another dog or killing a squirrel, but in things like, you know, husbandry or just like what you do with um, Cheza doing the tricks and doing, you know, a lot of the rehab stuff, the more we reward them for opting out and saying no, the more likely they are to say yes, and the more meaningful that yes becomes. And so we don't actually see this higher rate of no's, we actually end up seeing a higher rate of yes. I think that's a lot of where a lot of guardians kind of misunderstand the process of, of providing agency. Something that I have heard in the past is, oh, well, you're just letting your dog walk all over you. Yeah. To me, that is a relationship that's listening to the dog. I, I, I think that we need to we need to reset our expectations of what a relationship with a dog should look like and needs to look like. It's it's not about us asking something and the dog complying. And then if the dog fails to comply, that that is in some way a failure or a reflection on on us. That's usually where things get off. They, they just go off the rails because we we have egos, right? It's a it's a reflection on the state, the mental state of the dog, and and we need to honor that, and we need to understand that our dogs are not our hostages. We need to honor what what they tell us and how they communicate with us, whatever that might be. Right. Some dogs are very subtle in their communication and other dogs are very emphatic, but we really need to have impeccable listening skills and observation skills with our dogs. But I think too, because that kind of also leads into this other idea of 
labeling our dogs, especially when people say their dog is stubborn, when really the dog is just either saying, I don't know what you want me to do, or I don't want to do that. So it's a much bigger conversation as well, not just giving our dogs choice and say, but it's also refraining from putting unnecessary and unfair labels on our dogs too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we have to, as Heidi says, we have to kind of reframe this idea of a relationship, right? Every dog guardian that I have ever worked with wants a a meaningful relationship with their dog. What can happen sometimes is that when the communication breaks down, we don't look at ourselves. That's where that that labeling comes in. And it's just, I mean, I hate to say it's just human nature, but we do that with everything, right? And so it's super easy to fall into that trap of, well, my dog didn't do it. Therefore, my dog's being non-compliant or my favorite, the dog is not being obedient, right? Well, if you reframe the way that you're thinking about your dog as being a function of obedient or not obedient, then you can start having better informed communication with your dog. It does. It all ties in together. So Heidi, you brought up some really great points in our, our talking previously and in your information back to us when we reached out to you as a guardian and a dog sport competitor about the lack of agency that you were experiencing and witnessing in kind of the competition world. Can you talk a little bit about what you experienced? Part of me is worried because I'm, I'm pretty brutally honest. And part of me is worried about being (laughs) like super brutally honest, the people being like, whoa, if you think I'm throwing myself in front of a bus, please stop me. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I know we're not going to let you do that. So, okay. There are times in the dog sports world where I look around and I see dog guardians with really young puppies putting a lot of pressure on them. I see them drilling their puppies and I see the sparkle in the puppy's eyes kind of drain away or I've noticed also handlers drilling young puppies and and maybe dogs six seven eight nine months old and just drilling them over and over again before their their brain can handle it before their bodies can handle it and I take a few steps back and I I think to myself I wonder what this dog would like to be doing if it wasn't being trained in this specific discipline every single day, day after day after day. What would this dog want to do if it really and truly had agency? And I wonder sometimes if we are deceiving ourselves and just telling ourselves, well, this is what this dog was bred for and this is what it likes. And yes, I know that it likes this because it's something that we, the the dog guardian, insist on doing with that dog. And these are all unanswered questions. I just have seen this over and over in dog sports. And so it's such a question for me. And I've been to some competitions and seen people handle their dogs and, for instance, ask their dog for a down in a competition. And 
I've seen the dog's body language completely change to, to almost terror. And I've seen people walk out of the ring and tell their dog that they were stupid or just saying awful things to their dogs. And I just wonder for, for what it, it, right. it makes absolutely no sense to me. And it's, it's quite heartbreaking because I think at the end of the day, that dog is saying, I don't want to do this with you. I feel like the the dog guardians are not listening. It, it looks to me like the dog is, is struggling to get through a course. And my wish is that dog guardians would observe these things and not feel pressure by some external source, social media or their instructor or their peers or whatever external source. I wish people could just put that aside and just look at the dog in front of them and listen to what the dog is saying to them. I feel like we we as people have lost the ability to connect with each other in a lot of ways, like not completely lost it, but it's it's so different now. And we've we've lost a lot of compassion. And I believe that the way that we treat our dogs reflects the way that we treat other people. So I'm not by any means saying that people are intentionally doing any of these things or that people are mistreating their dogs. I just wonder if the dog had some agency would that young dog want to be jumping 24 inches in an agility competition would that young dog actually even want to be doing agility or would it want to be running around right. in the field chasing deer or whatever and so right. for me it's almost become a a bit of a heartbreak to go to competitions because i'm i'm a highly sensitive person and so i feel all of that i I feel the energy of the dogs. I can look at the dogs and I can tell what's going on and I can see the stress on people's faces and kind of feel the the energy that a lot of other people can't feel like like a lot of dog and horse people are like this too, right? But it's it becomes very heavy to me. And so I'm I'm really having to limit my exposure to that and for yeah. for titles and whatnot do as much as as I can virtually to kind of stay in my silo and live under my rock. <laughs> I think it's, you know, going back to just the way that we view dogs in general. Yes, everybody, not all Border Collies have to compete in agility. You heard it here first. <laughs> For me, I was telling Karen yesterday about my experience in competitions with my old dog, Zed. And I kind of felt kind of like what you're saying, like, once you got to a certain point, the joy was gone. You know, when you are first starting out with, with this journey for us, it was, it was super fun and we were having a ball and he was so into, you know, just, you know, a lot of the training because it was very heavily rewarded and I kept it fun and it was fun for him and it was fun for me. By the time that we got to trying to get our titles, I kind of notice like what you're saying, like there's a lot of that spark that's gone on the, the very last competition that we did. I was telling Karen that we were doing an outdoor run and it was our very first completely outdoor in a big open field, our very first time doing that. And I put him at the start line. I walked out a little bit, I turned around, and he was gone. He went over the fence, into the woods, chasing the squirrels, chasing the chipmunks, 
I mean, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. That was him. That was his personality to AT. He was just like, sure, I could do that, but this is better and I'm going to go do it. See you later. I laughed, but I was the only one laughing. The look and the scowl I got from the judge and the looks and the scowls I got from the other competitors, I was like, you know what? If you can't look at that and laugh, this is not the place for us. I don't have any experience in the competitive side. Yes, like I told you the other day, Nicole, CJ has some trick dog titles, but they were just virtual during COVID. Um, But I don't have the experience that you guys do because of stories like this. When I first got into this, I was like, yeah, we're going to try this. And then people were telling me these horror stories of these experiences. And I was just like, why would anyone want to do that? Like it, it, I don't know when the fun seems to have gotten sucked out of it. Um, my experiences so far with Chezza, my kind of tight circle of people, which is like three or four people, <laughs> we're all very positive, but the, the overall energy in the facility was difficult for me. So I would say agility changed a decade or more ago rally maybe about six or seven years ago is the vibe that I picked up on. And it's hard too, because I think, again, I think people, most people, most guardians go into those things because they want to give their dog a fun experience. And for the most part, we, we are training those, those sports in a positive way. So you know, why would we really look further than that, right? Like I'm giving my dog some really cool outlets and some ways to get some exercise and the training part of it generally is positive reinforcement. So why would I think about things like, am I creating enough agency to know if my dog absolutely really loves it or not? I I think that's a great point. By using positive reinforcement, sometimes we can get lost in the idea that positive reinforcement alone provides some agency because the dog is doing something for something it wants. But that's not true agency. Right. A lot of the times they'll use like, you know, a tug at the end, you know, they'll they'll do the run and at the end they'll get they'll get the tug and they play. And to us, yeah, they're getting that reward, they're getting that reinforcement. But I feel like there is also that element to it, that it can become coercive. If the only way that I ever get to have these positive experiences with my person is when I'm performing in a way that maybe I just, I'm okay with, or yeah, I'll do it. Or even I don't really want to do it. But I want to have that connection with my person and I want to engage with my person. And so, you know, we talk about places where we can look at that. I think dog sports is definitely one of those places where we can try to find ways to increase the agency for our dogs. Another thing that came to mind about some dog sports is there's a lot of travel usually involved. So the dog is in the car for extended periods of time. They're kenneled for lots and lots of time. And I I have a dog that happens to love her kennel. Even with the door open, she just, that was behavior she offered as a puppy. 
So she doesn't mind, really and truly doesn't mind being in her kennel. Go to a dog show and listen to the number of dogs that are completely out of their mind in their kennels. And it's that way all day long for them. And they get out for 40 seconds to do a quick run and then they're back in their kennels all day long. I don't have answers. I just have questions. I wonder if you ask the dog, is this how you would choose to live your life? Bet there are a lot of dogs that would say, no, I'd rather be out running in fields, chasing squirrels or, you know, whatever, but not, not stuck in a kennel frustrated all day long. Right. And I think you probably do see that, honestly. I mean, I know I've seen it doing, you know, doing competitions where the dog doesn't start. I mean, it's telling you, it's telling you that it doesn't want to keep going. If it doesn't keep going and you get a fault or you get a, a disqualification, we blame that on the dog. We don't ever blame it on us as the human not understanding what the dog is telling us. So Heidi, then in your experience as a dog guardian, what piece of advice would you give other guardians just starting out or looking maybe to compete in dog sports of ways that they could maybe look at agency or assess agency or maybe try to incorporate more agency? I think the best way to assess agency and to incorporate agency is to do lots of different things with your dog. So try many, many things and then observe what your dog likes to do. Look at their body language. Look at their joy. Look at their excitement when you pull up to this place to go do something or when you pull out the piece of equipment to go do something. I think furthermore, it's important to ask, is it a natural excitement because they they enjoy going for a hike for instance or going swimming or is it because they're so amped up to do this thing to get the toy at the end of it and to me right. there's there's a difference i believe that a happy dog will always have a particular sparkle in its eyes look at the dog's eyes look at how they carry their head and their body and pay attention when you do all of those things Try hiking with your dog. Try tricks. Try agility. I, I love agility. I think it's so much fun. I will keep my competing to a minimum for reasons that we've discussed. And try rally obedience. It's super fun. And go for walks with your dog and do sniffy stuff with them and, and give them so many choices and find out what it is that they love to do with you and do that as much as you can. I also believe as much as possible, we shouldn't railroad our dog and our dogs into doing one particular thing. So I guess then a question I have for you, Heidi, and this might not necessarily be fair. <laughs> um, so just to the best of your abilities, how then do we as trainers, as guardians, as just dog people help the greater population at these events at these type of things in your opinion how do we help them get behind this idea of agency it's a really hard question to answer <laughs> because i i think it starts with it starts from within like we talked about earlier it comes from inside of you so if we can have more compassion 
for ourselves, we can have more compassion for our dogs. If we can have more curiosity about ourselves, we can have more curiosity about our dogs. And we ha- when we have curiosity about our dogs, that gives them agency because we begin to ask questions. And if we can be creative with ourselves, then we can be creative with our dogs. I, I think if we if we heal ourselves and work with ourselves, we can work better with our dogs. That's not a great answer because it's not super actionable. So, I mean, my my short answer would be every human being needs to go to therapy. Yes. It could be the pessimist in me. It could be the realist in me. I don't know. But part of me thinks it's it's too far gone. Like it's that that kind of of thinking and belief that our dog needs to follow everything we tell them. And if they run off and get zoomies and do funny stuff in the ring, that it's really not funny. And it's a reflection on the handler. I I think that that has created a pretty deep rut in dog sports and it's, it's unfortunate. I, I think that's actually the perfect answer because there really isn't a right answer for how do we get the majority behind us. If we're just posturing, then that's not really any better. So you're right. It does start with us and what we're doing and being that example to the people that are around us. And then hopefully they will see that that sparkle in your dog's eyes because of the relationship you have with them. And that will make them want to change. I think it goes back to what you said, Heidi, too, about we have to be more gracious with ourselves. Right. And so, sorry, he's being crazy right now. He's stealing, he's stealing the recycling from under my desk. And so rewriting that kind of internal conflict that leads to frustration, I think also will help us as a, as a larger community. So Heidi, do you have anything, you have any questions for us? How do you think that guardians who do dog sports can give their dogs more agency? How could someone who does agility give their dog more agency? I think particularly, I think as much as we can teach a behavior, again, we go back to, you know, kind of opting in and out for things like husbandry skills. I think that we would do a service to our dogs to teach them an opt in, opt in, and an opt out of a lot of things that we're asking them to do. And so I think that would be a really cool way to increase some agency around those things. I'll put it in the show notes, but Ken Ramirez actually has a little piece about teaching a no. Approaching it from that perspective, you know, if we're giving, you know, the dog a lot of, again, opportunities for receiving the reinforcement regardless, right? So if we're teaching them to to go over a jump, the classic way of doing it, if the dog doesn't like immediately take to it, is to toss the treat over the jump. The dog jumps to get the treat. Or if you have a really smart border collie, they'll just go around and get it. Most of the time we lure them over the jump with the treat or we toss the treat over the jump. And so again, we're, we're only giving that one access to that reward. So if in those situations, we're also rewarding them for not jumping where there's a little bit more 
cooperation in there. We're not just luring them over a jump that maybe they don't actually understand or they don't want to do, or the jump's kind of scary because I don't know what it is. So if you don't go over the jump, all right, I understand. It's still a little too scary for you, or maybe it's still a little too high for you, or maybe I need to do some more groundwork so you understand what I'm asking you. And I'm still giving you access to that reward. So I'm allowing the dog the opportunity to have that two-way conversation with me. And I think that's really where it starts for a lot of behaviors and a lot of tasks that we're trying to teach our dogs is that we have to give them the ability to say no, to say they don't understand, to say that they're confused, to say they need a second to figure it out. And we have to give them that, that ability to do that. So my take on how we give specifically competition dogs more agency is a little bit different. And I could be wrong. This could already happen because, again, this is not my area of expertise. But I think the agency actually starts with the people. And what I mean by that is the money. I have to assume that there's a lot of fees that go into signing up for these things. So if we give people an out, if their dog doesn't want to do it, then it takes that external pressure that we talked about off the humans to feel like they have to do this competition and they have, their dog has to do it. And it gives the, the person the agency, which then trickles down to the dog and the person actually be willing to hear the dog say, not today. I think that's absolutely brilliant. It has to start somewhere. And if we can change just that little thing, maybe that'll make it a little bit fun again. And I think too, a lot of that early work really comes down to those trainers that we're paying money to, to help us hone the skills necessary, being able to have the conversation with the person and say, Look, maybe your dog, maybe this isn't the best sport for your dog. Maybe your dog would like this instead. And I know sometimes that's a really hard conversation for a trainer to have with a guardian because, again, the guardian is coming to you. If I'm teaching agility or I'm teaching rally, they're coming to you because, again, they want to have this experience with them and their dog and they want to you know give their dog positive experience they want to build some relationship with the dog and then for you to be like your dog really hates this i think that's a very hard conversation and to kind of steer them into something maybe that their dog would like more but if they're this owner with the agility line border collie you know that goes into buying this dog thinking they're going to compete in agility that's a hard conversation. I think it's also comes down to the trainers being more honest with clients that are coming to them for that training too. And you mentioned something also in all of the gold that you just gave us. I think we need to have more compassionate and reasonable expectations of our dogs. I understand the desire to get a dog that was bred to do agility and train it to do agility. And I believe that when, when we make those choices, we are automatically setting our expectations super, super high. If we let go of that dream of that expectation, it can somehow be seen as a failure. 
And that right. can be really, really hard for people to process. I mean, there's, you talk about money, Karen, there's a huge investment in the breeding of that dog, purchasing that dog. And that dog arrives in somebody's house already with a burden. It's the burden that, that we are giving it, the burden of expectation. And I think that we could do better by our dogs. We need to have the self-awareness to see and understand and respect when our dog is telling us that it's wrong. No matter how much we paid for it or why it's been bred or what lines it comes from or whatever. Or if it's just something that we're really interested in and we really want to pursue. We have to be honest with that too. To me, it's kind of reminiscent of parents that are like, their son or daughter comes to them and they say, well, I, I want to, you know, play an instrument. They say, okay, well, we'll, we'll get you a, I don't know, an oboe, but maybe that kid doesn't really want to play the oboe. Maybe they want to play the piano, but we've constrained their options. They might turn out to be a phenomenal oboe player, but they may have turned out to be an exceptional piano player. And so what you're saying is so valid that we have to look at the dog in front of us. If we truly are embracing that individuality, then we have to be able to accept the no and the I'd rather be doing something else. In agility, I see dogs that I, I call them, I call them all fun and no joy dogs. They're clearly having some fun but what is missing is joy it's almost like a a robotic programmed intensity rather than i'm really truly so excited to be here doing this with you and i know that if i mess up we're still good how would you communicate to guardians how to know the, the difference and what they're seeing, because I think a lot of people will come back and say, well, my dog loves agility. You should see them. They're really fast. They understand what they're doing on the course. And I don't believe 100% of the time that that means that the dog loves agility. I don't think that doing great at something means that they're actually enjoying it. I think that goes for a lot of things with people too, right? Like we can, we can be phenomenal at the job that we do Monday through Friday and not enjoy it. And I think the same goes for dogs. I think what you're asking is, how do we distinguish the two? And I think that's, again, goes back to where agency comes in. So this person that says, well, look at my dog. They're, they're driving into that, that first jump. They're driving into that tunnel. I would want to know from that person, what other things have you tried? Could you foster that same level of drive in something else like herding? if you have a border collie, or are you providing enough alternatives to know if that's truly happiness to do that? If we're only doing that one thing, how do, how do we really know? I would challenge that person to say, okay, well, what other ways are you providing the same level of outlet, the same level of connection with you? What are some other things that you're doing to test that out? I think my take on this question is, what does your dog look like doing the same type of action outside of the ring versus inside? And, and what I kind of mean by that is when your dog is jumping over the log that fell down in the middle of the woods, 
what does their body say in that environment versus what does it look like when they're in the ring being told to do this? And that would be how I would want to gauge. Yeah, my dog loves those jumps. He loves going in the tunnels. He loves that. Sure. But does he look as happy as he does when he's in the middle of the woods, chasing after a squirrel, having the time of his life, not being told to do something? So what uh, what other opportunities are we giving the dog to perform that behavior that aren't under the con- confines of doing it because we've asked them to do it? And so I think that's a really valid point. If I'm not giving him the opportunity to unprompted practice that behavior, then how do I really know that he has enough agency surrounding that behavior to actually make a choice to do it? Well, great. This has been awesome. Thank you. This has been a very informative and very enjoyable conversation on a topic that can sometimes be a little mundane, if we're being honest. Thank you so much. This has been a very, very enjoyable and and deep and I think necessary conversation. So necessary. I love, love, love our conversations that we have. I don't, I don't know very many people who would be willing to go this deep and have this type of conversation. I appreciate what each one of you brings to the table and I'm excited to see where this podcast goes. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to have gotten to know you a little bit. Um, and, And it was, it was really an honor to get to speak with you. So we hope you all enjoyed this conversation. Please don't forget to give your dog a biscuit from us. And until next time.